Welcome back to Do We Like Movies, or Do We Like Star Wars series. Uh, this week, we are finally getting to Solo, a Star Wars story. Uh, I'm your host, Angel. And I'm your host, who has no people, Javi. Solo. <laughs> and uh, we're finally here. We're out of the doldrums of the oh. Star Wars uh, George Lucas prequel trilogy. And we have arrived at a movie that neither one of us had seen before this show. Yep, we have not seen the Ron Howard standalone, what should have been a breakaway hit, Solo, a Star Wars story. This, Yeah, like this was actually the first time I'd ever seen the movie, and I'm actually very disappointed in myself. I didn't actually realize, and it just goes to show that unfortunately... I don't know what it was. It's just like this year, the episode nine is kind of creeping up on me. I was not keeping up with the production of this movie. All I know is that there is that it was a bit of a troubled production. I didn't re I didn't remember that Ron Howard was the director of this movie. Right, that tripped me up when I watched it this time. I was like, oh, dude, fucking Ron Howard did this. <laughs> like, I had no clue. And, you know, unfortunately, the, the word about this movie is that it may have essentially killed the Star Wars, uh, a Star Wars stories uh, films that were going to come out. And I, I wonder why Disney is getting such cold feet about this. Because it wasn't the breakaway, runaway Uber hit it was supposed to be. Because this, I believe this came out after Rogue One did, right? Yeah, but Rogue One, this is, I, you know what it is? I, I think one of the things that kind of doomed this movie, Rogue One came out in December as well, and I feel like ever since Force Awakens, like Star Wars had settled, Disney Star Wars had settled into the groove where December, around Christmas, that was Star Wars season now. And this movie actually was released like in the spring of last year. May 2018, and late May, too, almost going into the summer. That's really bizarre to me as to why they decided to move it. And I have a feeling that maybe the reason why it, it got lost is because it was a summer movie. And the thing is that, it all, like, if you look back, can you think of any publicity that was done for this movie? Like, can you think of uh, any time that... Like, was there really a big social media campaign for this movie? Nearly as much as any other Star Wars movie. No, but but what I do, again, what I do remember is just a lot of, like, there was a not good buzz coming out of it. And I like have a feeling... It was, like it was going to fail from the get sort yeah. of buzz? You know what it is, actually? There's a chance that <clears throat> that The Last Jedi and the reaction to that film kind of killed this before it even had a chance to find an audience. I can see that just because The Last Jedi like left such a shitty taste in people's mouths that they were just like and then it kind of goes back to the whole like fatigue, right? Like you start getting fatigued, but like Star Wars is starting to become a yearly franchise. Like fucking Call of Duty or uh, pick a Marvel movie, you know? Like people get tired of seeing it over and over again, you know? Like 
like like I, it's hard to believe, but I do feel that audiences do get fatigue. And you know what also didn't help this movie, which I think uh, Walt Disney had to make a choice, and it was either you fucking throw your move, you throw your shit tons of dollars at you know uh, Marvel, or you throw it at Disney, or at I mean at Star Wars, and Disney decided to you know throw it at at Marvel because this was this movie came out a month after Infinity War. Ugh, my God. Another reason for me to hate Infinity War. <laughs> it's funny because, like, you, I swear you have such a hate boner for Infinity War. Like, well, what you're you telling me right Endgame. now is what you're telling me right now is not making it any better. And let me be clear: I did not suck Endgame's dick. I just thought it was a satisfying end to that entire arc that they were building with all those Marvel movies. But again, Disney is the empire. They're gonna go with what fucking prints a shit zillion dollars instead of the fucking like the the movie that honestly like spoiler alert because we're supposed to save it a movie that wasn't bad like it was actually a really good entry into the Star Wars saga and it really does suck if this is the movie that ends the Star Wars stories because this was a great Star Wars story. I really cannot wait to get into the conversation on this because my expectations on it were very low because of the critical buzz that I heard. I wanted to catch this movie uh, when it was coming out in theaters last year. Like, I was aware of the release date and all that stuff that came. The only reason why it snuck by me was, unfortunately, I mean, not unfortunately, a wonderful thing happened to me last year, in the beginning of the year, which is I became a parent. The unfortunate, unfortunate, the unfortunate side effect of that is I was no longer able to go to movies last year. Like, funny enough, around the time that uh, Force Awakens was coming out, like that was that movie came out several months after I first got married, right? Mm-hmm. So. My wife and I, especially before we had our daughter, like, movie theaters were our go-to thing to do, right? Like, both of us work full-time, we both have a lot of stuff going on, we were both very busy, and if we just wanted an easy night out to to go and, you know, do anything, have dinner, like, we would go watch movies, and I'm not kidding, like, we watched movies to the point where, like, we would just look at random things to watch, you know, like, now I have to be very judicious and, like, careful about, like, which projects that, like, I have to, you know, select to watch because I'm either going to go watch it alone or my wife and I have to find a, a babysitter to watch, to go out and watch the film, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, so this was one of those movies where, you know, I, I there was just too much going on. Um, and I was really into the hype of Jurassic world fallen kingdom that summer. So I, and I went to infinity war, so I had to make choices and those movies <laughs> were the choices that I had made over a uh, solo, a star Wars story. But would you, I, uh, but would you redo those choices if you had a chance? Absolutely not. <laughs> I, I would have dumped infinity war. I don't know. To be honest, now that I've seen Fallen Kingdom, even though I like some things that it does, I, 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 the hype wasn't warranted. I'll say that much. 
Um, I honestly don't remember much hype for Fallen Kingdom. Like, I forgot Fallen Kingdom came out. I haven't watched it. <laughs> it's on HBO, and it's been in my queue, and I've been meaning to rewatch it, but I just haven't gotten around to it. And you know what? That same attitude is the attitude I had towards Solo. It was one of those movies where I'm like, eh, it's probably going to be in movie theaters for like maybe a month, month and a half. It's a Star Wars movie, so it might even be there like two months. I was like, I'll watch it eventually. You know, next thing I know, it's halfway through July, and I have a, I have a friend of mine that was like, "Yo, have you seen Solo yet?" And I was like, "Oh shit, I forgot Solo already came out." <laughs> so our 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 star of this movie, Alden, God, how do I pronounce his last name? Ironreich. Ironreich. Alden Ironreich. This guy, I had actually seen him in a movie before I watched this, right? Um, mm-hmm. and like I said. Before my wife and I had kids, we would just go watch random movies, and I think it was in 2016, we went to randomly watch a Coen Brothers movie that came out called Hail Caesar, which was, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was a period piece uh, dealing with, like, you know, the golden age of Hollywood, and the guy, you know, and, and he played a character in that movie kind of a side character it wasn't really anything like spectacular and to be totally honest he came off as really bland to me so Mm -hmm. that was probably part of the reason why i was just not in the mood to do it and even when i was going to start watching this movie i was like man i watched some trailers and i was like fuck i was like this guy looks like he's trying way too hard to do harrison ford and i am not feeling it Um, and again, the that it goes back to like the 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 social media campaign and just like the marketing did not do any favors for this movie because they happened to pick like this t- for TV spots and shit. They ended up picking like the scenes, like you said, where he is trying hard, and it's like, why couldn't you pick the ones where he's naturally charismatic? <laughs> yeah. And and I will say this much, I do know that a lot of the positive buzz that I had heard around the movie was really around Donald Glover, um, who, you know, plays Lando Calrissian. And I will get into it when I get into the movie, but, I, you know, he low-key steals the movie for me in terms of his performance. I know. Well, there was one person that stole the movie for me, and that's because uh, I'm pretty sure uh, he's going to... It feels like he's slowly having a resurgence the way... Uh, what's his name? Um, Michael Keaton had a couple years ago. Um, yep. That really... Bre- like how Birdman breathed some life back into his career. Like, I really feel like uh, Woody Harrelson's getting a little bit of that right now. Because, it's, almost, uh, it's almost like if you want to make a career comeback, play a Spider-Man villain. <laughs> yeah dude like it's fucking crazy because if they finally do if they do decide to get that venom sequel off the ground like they had teased him becoming carnage yeah and he looked like a pretty good so- like a solid cletus cassidy and i would have been and you know they're in the future they're talking about a venom and spider-man movie so what a time to be alive for comic book and nerd films yeah uh the other person who's in this movie in the cast as well is amelia clark who you know just wrapped up her eighth and final season on game of thrones amelia clark has this amazing power where i cannot recognize her unless she looks like khaleesi (laughs) <laughs> I, I, you know what it is with 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 her is I, I, to me it could have either worked or not worked. Um, I loved her on Game of Thrones. I think she was a victim of poor writing in the last couple of seasons, but she's also I don't know I wasn't crazy about her character just anymore in general. So mm-hmm. 
She I mean, was she's not someone, a bad actress. She, We've seen no, her done, she she's someone who I who I slightly turned on, and I wasn't crazy about her playing Sarah Connor in Terminator Genesis, which I did actually watch. What? Yeah, Terminator really? Genesis. I, okay, at first I've lost track of how many Terminators there are. Okay, so Terminator Genesis is yep. a movie that takes place. So Arnold Schwarzenegger came back. This is the one that they decided. So they rebooted. They reboot Terminator with every new sequel. Just so you understand yeah. that, right? They rebooted it with Rise of the Machines. Christian Bale rebooted it again as as John Connor in Salvation, and Genesis rebooted it all over again. Um, with Amelia Clark playing Sarah Connor, the 1984 version of Sarah Connor. So, and now the new Terminator's rebooting it again by bringing Linda Hamilton back as Sarah Connor. Yeah, that the continuity in that series is a fucking goddamn nightmare. That series started off with a really stupid time paradox, and instead of anybody trying to fix it, they were just like, nah, we're going to keep running with this. We're going <laughs> to yeah. see how fucked it can get. <laughs> um, but, you know, she was she was decent in that. I It, it could have gone either way with me in this movie, but I let's just get into this movie. I, I cannot wait to talk about it. I feel like we've been pussing, pussyfooting around it enough already. So very interesting start for a Star Wars uh, or for Solo a Star Wars story is it opens up with the very familiar phrase, you know, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. However, it doesn't open up with the standard Star Wars crawl that we're all used to of flying paragraphs through space. Right. It just it, it takes its time. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Which this also kicked off with Rogue One, right? Like Rogue One set the set the table as these like Star Wars one-off movies are. They don't need the opening crawl. Um, mm-hmm. We're not gonna try to reuse a lot of the themes. We'll use some themes that are similar, even though this one does borrow a lot more music from the original trilogy. Uh, mm-hmm. It's you know they. they they're at least giving it a try at giving these movies their own flavor, so I can appreciate the effort. And the opening, I guess, you know, uh, captions tell us about a young, lowly street urchin that pretty much has to make it for himself by, like, being a little thief, right? And, intru- and you know, in comes Han, good old Han and Kira, right? Uh, Han, well, Han being played by Heidenreich or whatever his name was, and then uh, Amelia Clark playing Kira, and essentially, yeah, they run, they 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 do little jobs, little thieving jobs for this uh, weird underwater albino snake thing. <laughs> so, how do you how do you feel about the fact that this movie is going in a completely different direction than the uh, than the origin story that was posited that you had mentioned that was scrapped from episode three? <laughs> oh, you mean where Chewbacca was raising Han Solo, <laughs> <laughs> and suddenly Han Solo is a little street urchin and fucking what's the planet called in uh, Corellia? And he's just like raised since a child to rob people. I'm like, eh, I actually I like this one way more. Oh yeah, no kidding. Before we really get too much into the story, like one of the things that I appreciated about the world of this movie is this movie 
despite the fact that they're going back to characters that we've already seen, which is one of the turnoffs for me. Like, I was not crazy in going back to prequels, having recastings, like, original characters in the story, and, like, mm-hmm. you're trying to cash... Like, to me, it just... It was stu- It felt stupid. It felt like, you know, you're trying to do too much of the old thing. But I'll say... the problem... Oh, I'll say this much. What I really appreciated about this movie is that this movie really leans into the hustler and thieve and just like it's the other side of the galaxy where like it's i feel like han's character has always hinted at the fact that he comes from all these crooks you know and if you watch a new hope and you see the scene with jabba and stuff like that and you see his interactions with greedo like everything that he has had like hints at the possible you know world that he comes from I love that this movie chooses to live in that world, and this... I—it's—it's—it's it's, it's the perfect way to do a prequel. You're—you might be taking characters that have existed before, but you're putting them in whole new environments. Mm-hmm. And you're putting them in stories we haven't heard before. Like, the, this is the only Star Wars movie that has no mention of the Jedi Knights or Jedi Order, and that is very refreshing. The fact that this takes place with the focus on like crime and like the organized crime in the in the galaxy, because very clearly there is organized crime going on. It's establishing a new hope, and it's establishing like pretty much the, all the original trilogy, right? So now you get to see a world where how like where you get to actually see how the organized crime works and how these people move within a world where it's not about space samurai priests, you know? Now it's like, you know what it reminds me of? Which, uh, another reason why I'm going to lean towards liking this movie is it reminded me a lot of Firefly, the Joss Whedon show. If you ever saw it... No, I can't say that I have, or or I remember it. Yeah, you probably didn't, but (laughs) I don't think you were that much of a nerd. But Joss Whedon did this show that was essentially, like, like the concept was, let's focus on Han Solo. Like, like, let's take a character like Han Solo, a lovable, you know, a lovable scoundrel, and just focus on his misadventures, you know? And now we finally get that as a movie. And I was like, oh, crap, like, this is, this already feels different from your normal Star Wars movie, but it, it still feels like it's a part of the universe, and that's what makes it so interesting. Agreed. So, so yeah, as we open up, the big MacGuffin of this movie is going to be Coaxium. They say Coaxium like 120 goddamn times, so get used to it if, you, if you're going to rewatch this film. Sure. But it's... But essentially, what it's like, what, Space Nas? Like... <laughs> yeah. You just put that shit in your engine and you take off like a fucking rocket? Ejecto Cito, cuz. <laughs> Why is, like, the Fast and the Furious franchise such a central part of our show? Why is, no, why is Too Fast, Too Furious a central theme in our show? Because it's the best one. <laughs> we are gonna have to, like get around to that that is going to be like one of our magnum opus like reviews oh my god it's gonna be so great <laughs> oh god so the, the whole thing so the, the 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 entire focus around coaxium is it's a very limited resource and that you're supposed to use it because it can be used for literally anything right for fuel for making weapons and stuff like that it's also a very so, volatile like substance yeah, like, it, it levels a mountain in a very spectacular fashion. 
So Han's job was to get Coaxium from a rival gang, which he ends up failing. And, well, he ends up keeping the money and the Coaxium and decides to run away with Kira. So as they try to escape, Kira actually gets captured by, I believe it was the gang, right? I don't think it was, like, the Imperial soldiers. Mm-hmm. Um, but after bribing the Imperial officers, they go and try to try to get in or try to escape. Kira ends up getting captured. They get separated. And Han promises that he's going to come back to Corellia to save her. So immediately Han talks about how he want, or he, he tries to enlist in the uh, Imperial forces because he wants to be a pilot. Because he's that damn good. Well, he needs to start from the ground up. So he enlists as a regular infantry soldier. Three years later, he finds himself in the middle of, like, a weird, like, space World War II, like, trench warfare battlefield. Okay. Remember when we talked about this in episode three? I talked about Mm -hmm. how nothing in this movie feels like it has any stakes. Nothing has any tactile reality. I can't get in. Like, there there was no way that that world was going to draw me in in any way or form. Mm -hmm. This is fucking awesome. And Right from the end, dude. And... The high point for me was Rogue One because I thought that Rogue One had such an impressive battle scene that we'll discuss when we get to it in a couple weeks. But, you know, Mm -hmm. to me, I thought that that was now the new watermark for, like, actual war scenes in a Star Wars movie. This almost rivals that in terms of just, like, the it. there's so much tension here. Um, Mm -hmm. And then there's also just a lot of people with a lot of personality you know like the you're really getting and getting just engrossed into these characters and what they're into you know like you understand you know part of ranks and stuff like that which is it it is what it is right um but interestingly Mm -hmm. enough what it also does is this movie lives in the gray you know like it's not black nor white it's not It's not Sith nor Jedi. It lives in this comfortable gray space in the middle because these guys are all essentially Imperial soldiers, right? And they're, they're all not, supposed to be the bad guys. And they're not, yeah, and they're not presented like bad guys. They're presented like normal people. Well, it's like, it's like the the reality is that any evil military that has ever existed there were always some people that probably didn't buy into the whole like evilness of what they were fighting for you know what i'm saying i'll put it to you this way i think i think a really good kind of comparison for something like this is i have friends who are in the armed service who have served in you know the middle east right Mm-hmm. It is very clear and obvious that the reason the U.S. is in these countries are not for any good reason at all. But no, man, also... they stole our freedom, so <laughs> they're over there to get it back. But you know, there's a lot. While there are a lot of soldiers that are overseas doing awful things, there's also a lot of people that are in our service who are actual, real good people that have families when they come home that probably aren't crazy about all the things that they have to do out there, but they are, you know, enlisted in the armed forces and they are sworn to protect us. Right. Like that is, Mm -hmm. again, it's, it's something that feels so real and I can buy into it. And I highly, because it's something you, it's something you relate to, especially like where we grew up, where there wasn't too many, like 
advantages for some people from where we grew up, right? Like going in the military, like that can uh, that can pay pretty well, especially where we come from. Well, Same that way, and we know people that you know may or may not be in this country legally, and one of the things that helps people get naturalized in the U.S. Surprise, surprise! For those who don't know, is if you join the army, you know some. Sometimes you will be promised that you get citizenship or you get some sort of residency and your family does as well because you're essentially earning your way into, you know, being a U.S. citizen, which... Oh, dude, that reminds me so much of Starship Troopers. (laughs) And unfortunately, (laughs) there's also a lot of injustice that goes into that because while you're told that that is the end game you know in in you like enlisting in the army that you and your family will be able to live here there's a lot of soldiers that have gone overseas to the middle east that have served uh, our country and get deported anyway so but, mm-hmm. you know again not I, i'm not trying to get i'm not trying to get on my soapbox too much here <laughs> but we are kind of the evil empire in some ways <laughs> I'm not going to get on my soapbox here, but we are the bad guys. <laughs> Everybody repents sinners. <laughs> Turns into a preacher. But um, you know, one thing that was really, really interesting is that in that battle scene, not one stormtrooper. Yep. They were all like normal ass dudes wearing like, yeah, they had like imperial uniforms, but not one of them was a stormtrooper. So it's really interesting because it goes back to what you were saying. Like, not only is this a gray area, like a morally ambiguous gray area, but it's also kind of a gray area in the time of like where we are in the in the in the Star Wars lore, where we are in the universe, right? Yeah. Because at this point, they for sure moved away from using clone troopers. And very clearly, they're fighting these wars with with normal people, right? And then it's like, but at the same time, you're not sending out your elite shock troopers that everyone is so used to. You're just sending out these random random kids to die pretty much. Mm-hmm. And you know they and and Han that has that great line where you know like the there's a there's a, a commander there and he's telling them how they're going to take this mission and then Han says, "Oh, what was it that their job is to but the guy says that their mission is to spread peace into the uh, along the galaxy or something like that." And then uh and then Han points out, but we're the invading force. We're the ones causing the war. <laughs> we, this is I'm not I'm not crazy here. Like there is a military industrial com- complex, like kind of subtext that that flows through the early part of this film. Oh no, it's super obvious because even to the point where the the commander even says that they're trying to help install a more friendly government towards the Empire. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the cool things that we get introduced, like aside from like, pre, the combat, and this is pre Death Star, right? Like this is yes, this is almost this is like this is the early stages of we're gonna make other like you know planets, solar systems, galaxies, whatever. We're gonna mm-hmm. make them bow down to our empire, and you know the early part is they are using soldiers to do that. There's a lot of grit here, and the target goal when you're putting together a Star Wars prequel really should be taking me somewhere that I haven't been before, but somewhere that's in this universe. Even though I kind of bagged on George Lucas for how terrible those early movies were, 
George Lucas created Star Wars, and he created one of the most enduring movie universes that will ever exist, like in time, right? Like, yeah, it, it, it's it, and one of the things that excited me about these one-off Star Wars movies is that you get the opportunity to live inside the world that George Lucas created, but see other perspectives of it. Well, now, because the, like, here's one of the things that's really interesting in this film is that, and Rogue One does it, like, spoiler alert, but the the big thing about the prequels, right, is when George Lucas was in charge, he was, like... You know, he, he, he always found a way to, like, shine on things that were callbacks to the previous movies, right? And But he always takes that second to be like, Haha, remember, kids, when this happened in Empire Strikes Back? Oh, it's here now! You know, like, they, like, they would do this big moment where it felt like there was a big stupid pause to focus and be like, Remember when this was in that movie? Oh, remember R2? Like, it was a lot of member berries, like, from South Park. Well, this the- movie does that. This movie does no, that, too. Oh, not this- nearly as bad. No, not nearly as bad. But I'm. But what I'm trying to say is that the culture of films and sequels and prequels that we have that exists in film right now, it is based on callbacks. Like, it's not like he's doing anything that's radically new. I think the problem is that he was probably someone who was so precious about his own work that he just needed somebody else to step in and, and let him know when to pull it back a little bit. And like, I think what I appreciate about guys like J.J. Abrams, Gareth Edwards, Ryan Johnson, and, you know... Um, apparently Ron Howard. Ron Howard, yeah. Like, what I've appreciated about these directors is that they do have a love for the source material. But they're not so precious about these characters and the story that George Lucas created that, that, that they won't deviate and just... You know, or and stay the course of their own film with their own story and their own characters. If George Lucas was directing this film, the moment Tobias Beckett gives Han Solo his blaster, there would have been a fucking like spotlight focusing on the gun, <laughs> and a fucking like chorus music would have gone off for ten goddamn minutes. That's what I meant. But you know, moving on. <laughs> Speaking of which, Tobias Beckett played by Woody Harrelson. So, uh, we, you know, we get introduced to you know Beckett and his group in the middle of this uh, of this battle, right? In the middle of this like war zone. And the way he's introduced is that he's supposed to be a captain, but the entire time he's acting really weird, right? So he's like, he breaks ranks and he's like attacking people by himself, and then. Uh, I forget what her name was, but Thandie Newton is in this movie too. I mm-hmm. think her, I think her name is Val. Mm-hmm. So, and then I forgot what the name of the alien was. Oh, Rio, Rio Durant, played by John Favreau. So yes. <laughs> this movie has <laughs> this movie has a couple, uh, you know, Marvel people in it. So Val, uh, Tobias, and Rio are essentially, it's revealed that they're impersonating Imperial soldiers and that they're actually there to steal a ship for a job of theirs. Mm -hmm. Han, being also a little thief, uh, is able to realize this and he tries to blackmail his way into the job. Uh, Beckett is actually able to outsmart him and get and snitches on him to the Imperials who end up, as, you know, accusing him of being a deserter, who end up throwing him into a pit as part of, uh, 
I get to kill him for desertion. Yes. Yeah, sure. so they throw him in this pit, and he has to fight this monster, and this giant, hairy, mud-covered creature starts beating the shit out of him. And then suddenly it's revealed that it was his father, Chewbacca. <laughs> <laughs> this is a much better way to introduce these guys uh, as people no, that didn't Chewbacca know each other. I, I did not need... God, I was just... When I saw this, I was like, look, do I think this is the best way to introduce these guys? No, I think there's probably better ways that it could have been done. I just don't know what that is. So it's I'll a ex- shit ton better than what we thought we were gonna get. Yeah, exactly. You know, like I'll accept it and I'll love it. You know, for the rest of my life. But this is much fucking better than that shit that you were telling me the other day. <laughs> so we get this like. Re- it, it actually reminds me of the pit, the the pit fight scene from uh, from Army of Darkness. Where uh, Han Solo's just like he's just getting ragdolled by Chewbacca around in this pit, and uh, you know, luckily, and we find out that Han actually knew how to speak Wookiee like from years and years, right, or from years before, and he understood enough that he can communicate with Chewbacca, and they come up with this plan to be able to break out. So they end up escaping. And they meet up with Tobias, uh, Rio, and Val. And essentially, at that point, they have to take him into the group. Um, and this takes us to the awesome, freaking awesome train heist scene. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, I, I was absolutely not anticipating this. And it's interestingly enough, I was, again, before I watched this movie, I was not sure that I was going to be into it. I was like, God, I hope I can finish this because we got to do a show on it tomorrow. I was riveted by this point in the movie. Like, it had hooked me in, and there was no way I was paying attention to anything else. My wife was watching it. My kid, like, may not even know what's all even going on, but she was just sitting there, like, (laughs) watching it even. It's just, it was good. It's a good scene. It's got great action. And it's so different from anything I'd ever seen in a Star Wars movie. And then it's like, it's it's really cool because it goes to show you like these creative minds of the design, the designers, right? Like the graphic designers, like the way they they make the track so it loops around these mountains, and then the 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 train has to shift itself, right? And it does, like, 180 turns will flip from top to bottom and bottom to top. And then, like, you introduce, like, these like these troopers that have magnetized boots so that they can stay on top, and then, like, Han's crew has to, like, uh, hook themselves on the line, right? And then you start playing with the physics, and, like, you get to see these cool shots of people get thrown around and jumping all over these this train as it's, like, zooming around the mountain. Like, it was just really cool looking. And then, um, like, you get introduced to this group called the Cloud Riders, um, who, I don't know what to compare them to. They, like, at first I thought they were Mandalorians, right? Because the armor reminded me a lot of, uh, Boba Fett and Jango Fett's armor. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's also, like, a huge, like, tribal, um, yeah, almost like a tribal, uh, theme to it. But, yeah, they just look like junkers. And if you, like, if you go back, like, if you go back and watch Firefly at any point, there's this group called the Reavers, and they're kind of like, um, 
crap, they kind of dress like uh, Legion of Doom, and they're just, like, in spikes and chains and shit, and they, like, look like freaky characters. That was the vibe I was getting from uh, the Cloud Riders. Like, they're just your space motorcycle gang that are just there to fuck shit up, you know? <laughs> yep. And, and, then, and, and you know, the, the train heist whole thing, like, it's it's like James Bond in space, right? Like, this is like something that I would watch in a Daniel Craig Bond movie if it was set in a different galaxy. And now this is, now this is where the Star Wars stories shine. Because the thing is, when I watched the original trilogy this last time, and you pointed it out, nothing really felt like it had any stakes until the last, like, third of Revenge of the Sith. And that was because you, when you, then here's the thing, when you fall into prequels and you use these characters, like you were saying, when you use these characters, you already have an idea how, how things are going to end because you already know, like, oh yeah, like this movie's about Anakin Skywalker. I know he becomes Darth Vader, so obviously he's not going to die, you know? And with, that was kind of what I was worried about with Solo. Like, how do you have this movie have stakes? Well, you do exactly what they did. You introduce these very charismatic, likable characters, and then you have the balls to kill them off. Yeah, and Rogue One wrote. Rogue One will get more credit for this as well too. But mm-hmm. Rogue One set again. Rogue One set the table. It set the president. It, it yeah, told you it's... now that the people in these Star Wars, you know, a Star Wars story and these one-off stories on, on the side, like. Anybody can get it, right? Like, that yeah, is... If they're not a main character, anybody can get it. If they're not, like, someone from the original trilogy, they can die. Like, be ready for that. Mm-hmm. And they do. And they kill off characters right here. <laughs> yeah, they do. They kill off Val. She ends up... Or, I'm sorry, first they kill off Rio, the pilot, um, in a very unexpected way. Like, you know, he gets shot. And he's like, oh, it's just my shoulder, one of my shoulders, I'll be fine, because he's like a little four-armed monkey. Mm-hmm. But then he dies in the cockpit, and the ship yeah. almost crashes into the train, and you're like, oh, shit. Yeah, it's dark. It gets so dark so quickly. And the characters they choose to kill, like, you know, like, I, I, I'll say this. The feeling that I got from the moment I saw Woody Harrelson's character uh, was... You know, it's or Beckett. Let me use his name, his character name, because I don't want to call him Wood Harrelson the whole time. But the moment I see Beckett with Han, I get the feeling that this is a Ra's al Ghul Batman situation. Yeah, like there was there was no point, and maybe it's just because I did watch Venom last year, but there was no point in this movie where I did not think that Woody Harrelson was going to somehow be the villain. You know, like Woody Harrelson's just really good at playing scumbags. He's just that yeah. kind of he's that kind of actor. Like even if you watch Zombieland, he as likable as he is, he's still kind of scummy in that movie. Well, even when he was young, the guy played Larry Flint. Like <laughs> he played uh, what's his name from Natural Born Killers? Um, Jamie Maddox? No, oh, oh no, that's Multiple Man from X Men. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know what you Mickey, mean. Like he, he's, Mickey he's, Knox. There we go. Yeah, he's he's a scumbag. Like you know, just in general, and he he's just he's, a lovable scumbag. Yeah, you know who else has that like habit? And I don't want to get too much off into a tangent. <laughs> Ray Liotta is like that. <laughs> Anything that I see Ray Liotta in, like he is immediately like the greasy criminal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you almost went racial there. 
No, 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 no. I You're mean, about to like, call him greasy Italian, don't lie. No, no, because he's even in Goodfellas, like, he's not even really Italian. He's not he's full like, Italian. Yeah, but exactly. yeah, I see what you're saying. Like, he's just, no, there's just something about him where it's just, like, he's slimy. Like, he will go behind your back and do stuff, and, and I get the same, you know, Beckett gives me the same feeling, even though he's grieving the death of his wife now. And that's what's crazy is that literally five minutes before this, they have that moment when they're all at the campfire, and then uh, and then Val even like you know the, the they're trying to find out why Han does what he does, and Val figures out oh no you, the only reason you would do this is because a girl was involved, and then uh, you know she says because even even something like even old scoundrels like him deserve love or something like that, and I was like oh that's kind of sweet I don't think they would kill her oh shit. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> no, and, and so once this like you know coaxium has been pretty much, it's gone, right? Like their their ability to turn it into the parties that that they were supposed to get it for, like that that is over now. Well, and... the coaxium. Well, the whole reason they went after the coaxium was because apparently Beckett owes Dryden Voss, this evil crime boss that runs Crimson Dawn, he owes him a shit ton of money. And another Marvel, Black- another Marvel actor that's in this, which is, uh, what is my Paul Bettany? Paul Paul Bettany, who you know everyone will remember as the voice of Jarvis or Vision in the later Avenger movies. It's funny because uh, yeah, and I I for, I keep forgetting that Jarvis becomes Vision in the MCU. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, like so. And and you know this is where it kind of shows you the kind of character Beckett is. You know, he he grieves Val and Rio to a certain extent, but what he's really worried about is the fact that he owes Dryden a shit ton of money. Um, and we learn about the Crimson Dawn, and were were they they weren't the uh, they weren't the crime syndicate that was attacking Han in uh, Force Awakens, right? Good question. I honestly don't know, and I'd have to pay close attention when we get back to Force Awakens to give you an answer to that. Yeah. All right. Well. Anyway. So after Beckett, um, you know, freaks out because they owe money, or he still owes a lot of money. Uh, pretty much, Han and Chewbacca offer themselves to, you know, help join his crew or be a part of his crew, and be able to steal enough coaxium. So that they, um, so that they can uh, pay off the debts and they can retire. Which, uh, much like uh, Rogue One, we are now kind of in a heist movie. Hell yeah! <laughs> and that's why I, I think I, I, I enjoy this movie so much. Is so much heists are going on. That's <laughs> awesome because yeah. we will once we get to God, what is, uh, once we get to Dryden Voss. Like that's when we reconnect with. Uh, Kira? Yep, that's when... So they go back to Voss's yacht, and while Beckett and Dryden are figuring out details, Han runs into Kira, and... I knew they were going to do a cantina scene uh, in this movie. There was just no way that they weren't going to do it. (laughs) They did it in Force Awakens. They don't... They do a light way of doing it in Last Jedi, but I just knew that if we were going to get a Han story, Han was always going to be a guy who was hanging out in seedy bars all the time. Hell yeah! And then he does the seediest of seedy things, is that he ends up joining this... 
he ends up joining a like back alley space poker game. Yeah, no, it's funny because once I saw him, you know, and I saw that he was developing a relationship with Beckett, I, I was like, man, I was like, maybe I'm off on this. Like, maybe Beckett and him are really going to be partners, and maybe Dryden Voss is going to be the actual villain because you know yeah. Paul Bettany's a he's a name right now, so he's. He's got enough star power to be the villain of this movie, but even he is not like truly a villain like to the characters in this movie. Like he is essentially just, you know, it's a it's it's another guy where it's like you kind of like him. He's a douchebag, but <laughs> but you know he's got charisma and you know he doesn't seem to hate Han at all. How, how would you feel if I said there's no real villain in this movie? There's only antagonists. Yeah, it's again, it, like I said earlier, like this. Despite Star Wars has always been something about balance, the balances of good and evil, and this movie, what separates it from the Star Wars movies that I've seen, even from Rogue One, like what mm-hmm. separates it is that it just it lives in gray. Yep, and it go and the, there's this part I believe it's on i believe it's on um on Voss's ship is where kira and you know kira and uh and han are talking and han tells her i would i wanted to come back to you i wanted to save you and then you know she tells him oh i wonder if you would have felt that way if you knew everything i did right and then she's she she alludes to some of the she alludes to the fact that han doesn't belong in this world and she's like i know exactly who you are and then she says you're a good guy right and kind of like it bring it, it does play into that fact that you're talking about that whole theme of living in the gray because how can you be a thief but still be a good guy right and then when you really you know as you see this movie like you see a lot of like character progression for han where um not only is he like a good guy trying to be a bad guy he's also kind of generally bad at everything he does in this yeah. movie yeah <laughs> he's, he's not, not he's not he's not han from you know the original star wars right like he is no not is, at all he is a guy who makes a lot of mistakes in this and he comes off like a bit of a goof like you know like whereas in something like force awakens you kind of trust him when he is, you know, saving Finn and Rey because you you have the understanding of him from the original series that he is someone that will get you out of these sticky situations. But in this one, you do yeah. not have that same confidence in him. <laughs> exactly. You know, like, you see him as... You see him as this guy that's good. He's just never good enough, right? And he's kind of a um, prick, which is funny enough, like... He is very much what a younger version of Han Solo would be like. Because Han, if he wasn't played so well by Harrison Ford, would be highly unlikable in any other situation. And, <laughs> you know, the again, when you're playing the younger version of a guy who could be considered highly unlikable, douchebaggy is kind of a way to play it. Like, you know, yep. and it helps that this guy, again, like, I don't have the same feeling towards him as I do towards uh, Harrison Ford. So I am kind of like, yeah, this guy's kind of a kind of a douchebag. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't have to He's love a lovable him the same way. <laughs> and you know like I love that scene where he um 
where they go into the they go into the cantina and Han finally meets Lando, and immediately they start like swinging big dicks at each other and start betting on on uh, on each other's ships, right? Okay. Because the whole yeah. Lando, Lando played by <laughs> Donald Glover. This was it. I was looking forward to this, and I was very excited when I saw him. I really like just the performance, like the overall like. He does enough Billy D. Williams to where this does feel like a younger version of Lando Calrissian, and mm-hmm. he feels, you know, he and Han, they're they're less. I think I think they're more frenemies than anything. <laughs> yeah, Aiden, Aiden, and uh, and Donald do a really good job of encapsulating. Like they they capture the vibe that makes these guys stand out in the original trilogy. And then they, they do a really good at highlighting that, but doing it in their own way, you know? Because, like, Alden does a really good job of portraying Han's uh, arrogance, right? And then I feel like like Donald is just really good at capturing, um, what's it called, uh, Lando's, uh, Lando's, like, showmanship, you know? <laughs> yeah. And he's also, again, he's also arrogant, too. Like, it, it, mm-hmm. it very much feels like, Anytime these two guys in a, are in a room together, like it's a dick measuring contest. Fuck yeah, I loved it. <laughs> and I, love... I also, I, I, maybe, and probably because I'm not as versed in the Star Wars universe as other people, I wasn't aware that the Millennium Falcon actually belonged to Lando before it belonged to Han. I'm pretty sure there was a line in like the original trilogy about like him winning it from from Lando. I mean, I could also just be like Mandela affecting it because we just watched Solo. <laughs> yeah, but, and uh, Star Wars fans, if there are any of you who are gonna wanna just choke us for 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 spelling out anything that could be obvious, please forgive us. We are there's a lot about these movies that we do not remember. And um. I mean, because it makes sense, because I think it's either an Empire, either End of Empire or Beginning of Return. Uh, Lando's flying the Millennium Falcon, so it's like he's familiar with it. Mm-hmm. So he's had to have been at, at least flown it a couple times, right? Um, but yeah, like, they, it, they, they show us the Millennium Falcon. They show us what it looks like, and it looks totally different from the piece of shit that I'm used to. <laughs> Yeah, this is like a brand new version of it. It also looks exactly like, you know, what it would what a newer version of that original Millennium Falcon uh would look like. Uh I what I love that the new newer Star Wars movies still have such a great reverence towards this vehicle cuz even though it's mm-hmm. like older and broken down and not as, you know, glossy in uh Force Awakens and Last Jedi, like the people still love that vehicle, right? And and the fact that Chewie is in that new series even though Han is now gone, you know, like he, there's it still feels like the old the old ship, which I can appreciate that. It really does, and it captures the vibe. The Millennium Falcon here still has that same vibe, too, from, like, A New Hope, how it feels like a home, but at the same time, it's like a command center, right? Um, Yeah, I just... I really like uh, any of the scenes they were doing in the Millennium Falcon. And along with Lando, like, we also are introduced to an android by the name of L337, which which I will say... This and Rogue One, like, 
K2, just, baby! Yeah, like, like I was telling my wife about this while we were watching it. One of the things that I love about this, like, you know, newer Star Wars movies is they really make you care about robots. <laughs> and there's good, you know, if there was going to be another Star Wars story, they were going to introduce a, they were going to introduce a, uh, uh, a, and, oh, was it an, it's an AI, because K2 is an AI. He can think for himself. L3 can, is an AI. I'm pretty sure they would have introduced either J1 or, like, O4 or some shit like that. <laughs> Keeping, like, the running numeral and uh, alphabet thing going. But L3 is so fucking hilarious. And, and, not, and the droid, again, it's like, it. That is that is one of those things where it's, like, as different as this feels, that feels absolutely Star Wars. Like, droids and... You know, droids that have personality are things that, you know, are part of Star Wars forever. Not Gungans, right? <laughs> God, fuck me. <laughs> I love when L3... Misa don't want to go back. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't worry. You'll never have to go back to that. Please give me more droids like Leet. Dude, when, L- when L3, like, <laughs> incites a robot revolt... <laughs> I was like, yes! Seize the means of production! <laughs> it's so good. Like, I, I really do like it. And she also has a bit of a, you know, her and her and uh, Lando got a little thing going on. Yeah. They, they, <laughs> it, it's funny how they have ke- such good chemistry for technically being like a non-existent character <laughs> like when like you know it's one of those things where donald glover had to talk to somebody in a green suit like yeah oh, <laughs> but no it's but pretty and, much it's 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 you know it's nice to when she i think what also makes her feel more like a character is the little scene moment that she and kira have together on the falcon like where she she, she like both downplays and overplays the kind of feelings that Lando and her have for each other. Mm-hmm. It's hilarious. And then she's out there giving Kira advice on how to talk to Han. I was just like, oh, that's like the girl's dishing. That's so adorable. No, and it's funny because, like, you know, again, this is a world where there's a lot of stuff that's very grim. Like, there's a lot mm-hmm. of... It's, it's a time, you know, unlike those Star Wars prequels that we were watching in the trilogy, like... It, mm-hmm. This is a relatively dark time, and those old ones, it's like the, it's very glossy, and mm-hmm. you know, it it feels like a cartoonish. Everything's world. clean, yeah, yeah, yeah every, totally. Every, everything here is dark and grim, and I think one of the things that really helps these characters have sanity is the fact that they have relationships with, you know, it, with Han, it's Chewie, you know, with Lando, it's L three, you know, like just there, there's a lot of characters who aren't afraid to love if that's a good way to say it well it's they find companionship right yeah and it's that's like, a much better way to put it yeah they're, they're not afraid to find companionship and like i hate i hate bringing it up because you know we're speaking out of order but like k2 is honestly one of my favorite characters like if you ever played um uh star wars uh kotor like uh knights of the old republic one of the fan favorites is uh i think his name is hk7 and he's like this mercenary bot that refuses to call any uh, organic character 
anything other than meatbag. And, like, you know, like, they, it, it's something about the... But, you know, that also becomes one of your best, like, friends, well, depending on how you play the game, in, in the series, right? Uh, or, I mean, in that game. It's it, it, it plays to that finding companionship when you're in a very shitty situation and you don't have anyone to turn to, right? Um, and, like, K2, for example, like, he he has that hilarious line where he goes and he rescues Jin Urso, and he's like, um, what was it? You, you'll remember the line better than I do, where he'll be like, uh, I've come to rescue you, uh, please don't resist, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And, and, we'll, and then, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that more when we get into that movie. It's just they have a really good way of giving these characters, per, the, especially the droids, these personalities and make you care for them. Um, so funny enough, and well, I think real Star Wars fans are going to hate me for this, but I I wasn't, like, I never really paid close enough attention to the Kessel Run line to the point where I knew what a Kessel Run was. And this movie actually taught me what it was. Kessel is a place, <laughs> and mm-hmm. the Kessel Run, like, is, you know, it is the speed and distance from which you would get away from, uh, you know, from this place. And part of the reason why they have to do it so quickly and why Han will become who he is later is because mm-hmm. if it takes too long for them to get to their destination with the coaxium uh, before it's stabilized, they're all gonna die, <laughs> so there's a bit of a ticking clock here. He did the what was the line that he did the Kessel Run in twelve parsecs when it's supposed to take a normal person twenty. Like I think there was that joke that it's like, but parsecs is a measure of distance, not of time. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? It, it's it's again, it's one of those things that's really impressive. Uh, Rogue One centers its entire story around something that bothered me when I first watched A New Hope. And this mm-hmm. movie like put makes an actual plot point out of kind of a passing piece of dialogue in later films. Yeah. So it, it's I, it that is that is what prequel shit is supposed to be. It's like remember this one thing and then it's like now we're actually gonna see what that one thing is and guess what? This time it's gonna be satisfying. It's funny because I think I think it was Jose I was talking to where we uh, where either he mentioned it or I mentioned it like we didn't want the Kessel Run to be explained like we just wanted it to be one of those things you just accept right and then they were like oh yeah we got to make this run to Kessel and I was like ah oh, fuck they're gonna show the yeah. Kessel Run I, I rolled like, my I did roll my eyes when I first knew that we were going here um, I'll and, say and, that the way they did it is what won me over, but I was oh yeah, definitely not it. feeling it when I first heard about it. Yeah, when they had to do it, I was like, oh, fuck, you're really pulling the trigger on this? This is going to be so lame. And then it's honestly probably one of the coolest like chase scenes outside of like an actual car chase scene from a movie. <laughs> like It's a really exciting, really well done scene, and there, you know, there's a lot of action. I think the the there's the CGI while they're flying through space looks so cool like they're in this weird dark matter world right um and then suddenly 
they have to deal with the weird space octopus that's just flying, floating through the fucking universe as if I didn't have enough to be afraid of in this world. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Star Wars. Now I have to worry about a fucking, like, Cthulhu monster that's just going to land on Earth one day. <laughs> well, when we talked about, like, fear of the deep ocean from the Godzilla series, like... This also does that with me with space. Like, yeah, I now am, I'm afraid of space. Fuck. I was already afraid of space, but like, <laughs> but yeah, the fact that there could be giant floating monsters, like, <laughs> it's like fuck you. Octopi are supposed to be underwater, not in space. This is bullshit. And then, uh, you know, we get to see that. What was it? It was a. They called it the uh, the mall, right? But it's like a black hole. Mm-hmm. And then we get to see that cool scene where they managed to use the coaxium to shoot past the gravitational pull of the black hole, which is impossible, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> but they're able to do it using the coaxium, and it's just such a like it's just such a well done scene. It's very. Uh, I like the colors. I, I like the colors for sure. Like, I don't know. Like, there's not much else I can say other than it's fucking cool. Yeah. And so so they do finally get to... What, where, where is this location that they end up at? Um... I am currently looking... They get through the blockade. Severine, that's the name of it, right? Severine? Yep, that's it. So they managed to get their way. They they managed to land back on Severine, where they're supposed to meet up with, uh, crap. What's Paul? Be- oh, Dryden. They're supposed to meet with Dryden's kid, uh, Dryden to give him the coaxium. Um, they end up getting they get jumped by Enfis Nest, who is the leader of the Cloud Riders. Mm-hmm. And we have that, we, you know, leading up to that, we have that hilarious scene where, um, you know, you sh- they show the Millennium Falcon, it just looks all trashed and gross and just like a piece of shit. And oh. then Lando's pissed. Yeah. <laughs> and they do that, I hate you, I know, like, like exchange. And I was like, oh, that's fucking cool. That <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, um... So when they get surrounded by the Cloud Riders, <laughs> Han thinks he can, you know, he can talk his way out of the situation, and he tells Emphis that if she tries to attack them... By the way, did we, just, did we just, like, totally gloss over the death of L3, or does that come after? Oh, no, yeah, we glossed over L3's death, because she died on Castle. Oh, unfortunately. Oh, and we glossed over the, we glossed over the Wookiees, too. Yeah. Yeah, so there was like a portion, sorry, please don't hate us for this, but yeah, there's a portion when they're on Kessel where it looks like Han and Chewie are going to be split up now, um, and Chewie's going to go back with his, god, family, or people, or at least his people, right? Well, he said he was looking for his tribe, so I think that just means he's looking for Wookiees. Yeah, so uh, they, they, you know, it's one of those things where, I'm sorry we didn't, get to it beforehand but um you know it's impressive because this is a movie that's juggling a lot of different balls right Mm -hmm. it's got that going on and then at the very same time it's got the death of l3 and and uh lando is so visibly upset by it that Mm -hmm. this much like what we're going to talk about in a couple weeks 
you really feel for him and you really feel for L3, uh, you know, once she dies. Because even she, you know, like, mm-hmm. she didn't know she was going to die at that moment. <laughs> like, she, like, she was starting a rebellion to try to help the other androids or the other droids, like, find freedom, right? And then, like, in the middle of the combat, she gets, ex- like, she gets blown up. And it's really cool because they have this, they have this, like, they have this juxtaposition of stuff, right? Because before that, um, land, or the, before that, Han and Chewie, uh, Chewie sorry, uh, they have this agreement that as soon as they're, they get to a point where they can't help each other anymore, they're going to go their separate ways. And that's kind of what happens, because Chewie's like, I see my family, I want to go help them, and Han says, fine, go ahead. Um, so they continue the heist. But when Han, or when Han needs the most help, that's when Chewbacca and the, and the rest of the Wookiees come in to save him, right? And the same thing happens where, you know, while Lando is kind of like in the middle of the, like, processing L3's death... Han, like, goes running into freaking enemy fire so that he can save Lando. And it's like when Lando needed him the most, that's when Han kind of stepped up and became a hero. And that's classic Han. Like, Han is the reluctant hero. Um, He may not want to be the one who's responsible for having to save your life, but if it's him, he's gonna, you know, (laughs) he's gonna do it. In in Batman fashion, he does he won't save you, but he's not gonna let you die. <laughs> and you know, it speaks a lot to their character, and also it gave us a lot of characterization on Chewbacca too, because Chewbacca we always assumed was just kind of like uh, a sidekick or just kind of there, right? Or like even he's a big Wookiee, you know, he's just kind of like Han's pet, but. What I really liked is in that scene when uh, when uh, Han tells him to go help his family or go help the other Wookiees, um, you get to see Chewbacca as an actual character. You get to see him as someone that has emotions and motivations. And I was like, oh, shit. He's not just, like, this random character that's there to make funny noises, like, you know? Mm-hmm. And, it was, and it really it speaks a lot to their relationship, too. Yeah, the um, is. Yeah, and, and I think that's what it is. Is that it's not that, it's not that they're they they actually are friends, you know. It's not that that's just his pet. <laughs> so, uh, so we're back on Severin. Yeah, and and there and there is a confrontation with the Cloud Riders in Memphis, and during the confrontation, that that's when Landio, Lando just like completely dips out. Well, Han says that there's thirty hired guns on yeah. that ship, and that if he kills them, they will kill the Cloud Riders. And Jim, right then, Lando flies away. And the best part is Han turns to Beck and he goes, "I'm sorry." Go ahead and do what you're gonna do. <laughs> Cause it's like right after you look like a giant fucking idiot, like you're just like, okay, fix what I fucked up. Oh god. But yeah, I mean they essentially essentially these guys deliver what they promise, right? Like <clears throat> they uh they give the syndicate like the or at least they're going to give the syndicate, you know, the the Quaxium that they wanted, right? Yeah, well, um, 
what's her name? Enfys? Yep. Yeah, so Enfys explains that Crimson Dawn is in that that Crimson Dawn is in uh, in league with the Empire. And that pretty much they go and they kind of prime before the Empire comes in to like take over, right? And that Crimson Dawn has these like terror like they they would go and they would drain these planets of resources and anyone that stood up they would pretty much kill them so the cloud riders are uh a a a group of people that survived crimson dawn's like attacks on their planet and have come together to form an alliance some sort of rebellion if you will yeah they're (laughs) they're, they're a militia they're essentially, and you know, I think that's the running. That's the that's what they're hinting at is that they're like the the Cloud Riders are kind of like the the uh, beginnings of the Rebel Alliance, you know. Uh, and yeah, they're just a, they're just a militia going around trying to fight back against the Crimson Dawn, and that's why they need the Coaxium. So now Han but has again, like these. They're not. They're they're not. Their goal isn't like some sort of altruism or some sort of feeling of moral superiority like they really all they want is don't kill us and don't take the resources from our planet like that is their goal their goal is simple they are much like the goal is to not die yeah much like everyone else in this world the their motive is survival Mm -hmm. and now han is faced with a dilemma where does he give the coaxium to the cloud riders or does he give it to Crimson Dawn like they agreed on? So Beckett ends up deciding that, or Han ends up deciding he's going to throw in with the Cloud Riders and he wants to help them. And Beckett says he can't do it. And he alludes to a job on Tatooine. And he tells Han, if you do survive, look me up on Tatooine. I have a job and it's going to be my last score before I finally retire. And then, you know, Beckett leaves, and I'm like, oh, wow. I guess he's gone for the rest of the movie. Like, yeah. I guess he's gone for good, and maybe you'll hear something about him at some point in the future. And that's what I was thinking, you know, that they were going to leave him open for, like, a tie-in for another Star Wars, uh, a Star Wars story, right? Um, so now we have the climax of the movie is um, it's Han, Kira, and Chewbacca are taking the coaxium to uh, Dryden Voss. And Dryden immediately, after inspecting the coaxium, assumes that it's a fake. Mm -hmm. And Han keeps assuring him, no, it's the real deal. And then he, you know, (laughs) Dryden... Dryden... uh, presents his, you know, this big reveal that his associate told him that about the plan and how they were going to betray Dryden. Who the associate, re- you may have thought it could have been Kira because... You, you know, assume it's Kira because she, 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 she disappeared. She was the one who was with him. They look like they have something going on between each other. She works for the Crimson Dawn, you know, like maybe at the end of the day that's who she's loyal to. But it turns out it's actually Beckett. And Tobias Beckett comes out and, you know, they parrot that line that he tells him when he first meets, uh, when, he, when Han first meets Beckett, uh, don't trust anybody. And 
you know, then we see that the Cloud Riders get surrounded by uh, Biden Dross's, or Dryden Voss's uh, his personal army, his personal, like, fighting force. Um, but then, you know, we have that cool line where uh, where Han flips it on, on Beckett and tells him, you know, it's the same thing you told the, you told the Chewbacca, you know, everyone, or was it? Ah, crap. Everyone's uh, predictable, right? People are predictable. Yeah, people are predictable. And implying that Han knew Beckett was going to betray him, and they actually warned the Cloud Riders to switch and go into hiding. They they end up overpowering Dryden Voss's men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and since there's nobody there, immediately Beckett betrays Voss and starts killing off the rest of his soldiers. Yeah, again, Beckett doesn't care if he lives or dies. Beckett wouldn't care if it was the Republic in charge of the Empire. Like, these yep. characters, no matter what happens, they they would live their life. They, and that, and I think that's what's really interesting, is that in a, in all, all the movies leading up to Solo, everyone is, it's very clear who's right and who's wrong. Or, you know, everyone who thinks they're right and they think they're wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Finally, you have these guys, like you were saying, they don't care who's right or who's wrong. Don't get in my way. I'm trying to live. Yep. And they have this... They have this... Uh, you know, Beck ends up taking Chewie and stealing the Coaxium. And they have this fight scene between Dryden and, and Han. And for a minute there, I was like, oh, crap, Han can fight? And then I was like, oh, no, he can't. But <laughs> because it's still young Han. He doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> but, uh, and then it's revealed... That Kira, well, it wasn't revealed Kira uh, could fight. I, I think it was earlier in Kessel she was able to take out some people. But oh, yeah. you find out that you find out that she's like super trained, and she ends up fighting. Uh, she ends up fighting uh, Dryden and kills him. Mm-hmm. And then Han goes to, or you know, Han is able to get his blaster, and he tells Kira that he's going to go after Beckett, save Chewie. Kira assures him to go, that she'll be right behind him. And then we have this scene where Kira I did not expect this. I was absolutely not expecting this. And I, like, audibly, like, gasped in my living room. It was so fucking weird. She ends up calling Darth Maul. Who looks fucking cooler than ever. He has robot legs! (laughs) And I was so wrapped up in him that I, like, after the scene was over, I was like, hold the fuck up. Didn't he die in episode one? <laughs> yup. And then, uh, so you reveal that apparently he's not dead, but he's also leading the Crimson Dawn. And he orders Kira to come meet with him on Dathomir, which I don't remember if there's any, uh, what's the significance of Dathomir? It wasn't a fire planet, was it? No, I don't think so, because Mustafar is the, is the fire planet. Unless you're, unless we're talking about multiple fire planets. I mean, I don't know. There could be multiple fiery hellholes. <laughs> um, I think it's like a moon or something. The point is, no, Darth Maul so. orders Kira to meet with her, or meet meet with him, right? And then, so Kira oh, uh, ends up. Yeah, da- Dathmir, right? Yeah. And Dathomir is... Uh, Let's see if I can find something on that planet. I actually cannot, unfortunately. Sorry. But Yeah, yeah. so... So, uh, Kira ends up, like, taking off and 
fucking Paul Bettany just because I can't remember his name. She ten, uh, she takes off in Voss's ship, and uh, Han kind of saw it coming, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but he confronts Beckett, and they have this really cool Western standoff. And before Beckett can even get a word off, Han shoots him first. Because Han always shoots first. Again, another thing where you just kind of make reference to something that existed, but you don't... I mean, you kind of, he, they call attention to it for sure, but it didn't make me roll my eyes, so I'll, I'll, yeah, it didn't, I'll give them it credit didn't, for that. It didn't make me roll my eyes because of the way they played it out and because of the character they had. Because the, the truth is, if Han had in the shot first and Beckett says it, he goes, I was going to kill you. And at least and now you know why he shoots first, right? Like exactly. And you also understand why he has the hard exterior that he does when he meets Luke in Force in the New Hope. Mm-hmm. And so Beckett dies in Han's arms, and they end up talking, or they they go meet up with the with the cloud jumpers, cloud riders, whatever the fuck they're called. <laughs> And they have that cool moment where Enfys asks, um, or she asks Han if he wants to join uh, join them as they try to gather more people to fight back against the Crimson Dawn and eventually the Empire. And and um, you know Han says no, nah, that the hero stuff isn't for him. And you know she alludes to maybe one day he will join them. Yeah, which that was, that was the slight eye roll moment, but I was like, mm-hmm. all right, you've earned it. I'll, I'll give it to you. But, you know, like, I didn't roll my eyes that hard just because, I don't know, I also have a soft spot for Han Solo in my, in, in my heart. Like, I yeah. just really, lo- like, the fact that he goes from being, like, a thief to a general of the Rebel Alliance, <laughs> like, it's just like, oh, that's, that's kind of cool, you know? Like, it's cool to think about. Um... So the the film ends with another cantina scene <laughs> where Han confronts Lando, except this time being more observant. Uh, right, because they, Lando you know, cheated the first time. The first time they played cards, Lando actually had a secret card uh, hidden in, up his sleeve. Uh, this time around, same situation, all or nothing comes down to Han and Lando. Except this time, La- uh, Han having the wherewithal to steal the extra card from uh, Lando's sleeve ends up winning with a better hand than Lando and ends up winning the uh, Millennium Falcon from him. And then they allude to going to Tatooine to pull that job together that uh, Beckett had in in line. And roll credits, and that's our movie. So do we like Solo, a Star Wars story? Fuck yeah, I like Star Wars story. <laughs> like, it was, it, like you said, I went in this movie the same way. I went in with zero expectations. I went in thinking, oh, this will be kind of fun, I guess. But crap. Like, did they do a disservice to not push this movie as hard as they should have? I fucking hate Disney for the marketing job that they did on this. It is. It, it really sucks because it, it's criminal. I, I loved this movie, and I thought it was. To me, I'm even wondering whether I like 
this better than Rogue One or not? Like, you know, and Rogue mm-hmm. One, I have so much love and admiration for that movie because I've had two or three years to like sit on it and watch it again and you know watch it several times I love it and this movie god it's just even I think I loved it when I watched it last night I love it even more now that we've sat here and talked about it for an hour like it's a movie that handles like you said it handles the source material with enough love and care that you it, it fits in in the universe but it doesn't handle it so genderly that it's not afraid to like shake the stuff right it, it does this great job it introduces new characters it makes you care about new characters uh it calls back enough to the original trilogy to kind of like or it calls enough to the original trilogy that it feels familiar it calls back enough from the new trilogy um you know to 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 link uh to link those two sagas and it's like man like it, it's everything you want in a prequel it gives it shows you where these characters you're familiar with where they started and how they became who you know without being cheesy without being annoying right without without being so ham-fisted you know mhm and yeah, it's just it's really awesome. I don't think I could say any more about it. Uh, I'm I'm so excited about this series now because it's just it it gives me if Disney really wants to go back to this, like I am I am all for it. Like mm-hmm. I think it's there's no way that they can shit all over this. I don't care how much people hate Last Jedi. This this is a winning formula to do these one-off stories. Like they are getting quality directors, they are getting quality filmmakers to to step in and put their own spin on some of this stuff. And I I have to apologize to this movie <laughs> for not like you know watching it earlier. I have to, and I really you know like I'm very impressed by the fact that Ron Howard didn't just mail this in right like it it also gives me hope for something like and i know this is going to seem like it's disparate and something completely different but it gives me hope for something like todd phillips joker movie or matt Mm -hmm. reeves batman or you know the second john watts spider-man movie in the mcu like it it gives me hope that you're letting some of these like really great filmmakers kind of come and and put their own spin on some of this source material without getting in their way you know, mm-hmm. and and or at least letting them do enough of things that feels like you know it's connected to the lore. So I, I appreciate this. I love this movie. I think anyone who hasn't seen it yet, um, like we hadn't seen it yet, go fucking watch it. It's on Netflix. You know, like it's very available. It's yeah. Do yourself a favor. You got a couple. Of, you got two and a half hours to kill. You know, like go ahead, watch it, check it out. It's. Even if you're not a Star Wars fan, there it's enough removed from a Star Wars story that you can enjoy it. If you're a, if you're a fan of heist movies, if you're a fan of like, you know, scoundrel movies, <laughs> just like thief movies, like there is something there for you that to like it if you're not a Star Wars fan. Yep. So, uh, I, yeah, I'd like to thank everyone for you know continuing to download our shows, for continuing to follow us on this Star Wars series, and. Um, I'm really looking forward to where we're going to go next in a couple of weeks. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to what we're going to do next week.
So uh, thanks for joining us. I'm Angel. And I'm Harvey. Later, turd.